0: Welcome to the Voice of MPE, the official podcast of Merchant Payments Ecosystem, Europe's largest merchant payments conference. Today, we are at the 16th annual MPE Conference, MPE 2023. This podcast brings you interviews with payment industry leaders and professionals from the entire payment world. For more information, head over to www.merchantpaymentsecosystem.com. Today, we discuss how to build a minimum risk environment. Helen Owen from Andaria, the moderator of this session, spoke with Brittany Allen from SIFT, Catherine Malik from Acertify, Sarah Torrance from RIU Hotels, and Elimio Rocci from LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Learn more about effective risk management strategies.
1: So I'm just going to start by asking our additional panelists to just introduce themselves, please. Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah and work for Rio Hotels. Um,
2: I'm in the accounts department for many years and now I'm the specialist on the online payments for the company. So I'm taking care of payments, anti-fraud tools, and of course, chargebacks.
3: Emilia. Yeah, thank you for invitation. It's a pleasure to be here again in MPE. Like feeling like a, a family. Uh, well, I'm Emilio Rocky. I'm uh, in charge of uh, market planning for the strategy of payments within the fraud and identity unit of LexisNexis. Great, thank you.
1: Okay, so I think what we're going to do first is um, expand on what Brittany was talking about there with KPIs. Um, And try and take this in in a way that can give you some practical advice, uh, either if you're a merchant or a, a PSP. Uh, looking at KPIs and how you can go about setting those in the first place. What are the considerations when you're looking at a fraud strategy and what KPIs that you need to set for your business? So, Catherine, could you kick us off, please?
4: Sure. I mean, I think Brittany did a great job of it, sort of laying it out in her presentation. So, first of all, you know, know your verticals. So, understand. You know, what are the important KPIs for your business? What actually do you do, as it were? And then also, I think, really think about, um, you know, what are you trying to measure? Because at what point in the customer experience are you looking? So, you know, the KPIs that you would have on, Account takeover fraud will be different from, you know, chargeback rate, for instance. And I think also there's a piece which is sometimes overlooked by merchants, which is also then be really clear about your definitions. Um, quite often we have conversations, and then also making sure that your different definitions are the same as your vendors' definitions, because many times we've had conversations with merchants where people can be using the same terminology like chargeback rate, or they could be saying fraud rate, and actually the definition definition is slightly different. So, I'd say those things are really, really
1: critical before you then kind of like start measuring anything. Thank you. That's very good advice. Brittany, you touched on some, um, uh, you know, a few examples of KPIs there and you referenced a couple more. I don't know if you just wanted to go into any of those in a little bit more detail.
5: Uh, Sure. Let's see. So, for the... One of the biggest challenges is what data can you actually get your hands on? Like you can want to report on something and not have it available to you. But at the very least, identifying that can then help you take a step forward. Um, An example of that from my experience was when I worked for a marketplace. Here I go anonymizing things, not saying which one. Uh, and we had a very high manual review rate. It was regularly between 22 and 25% of all orders every week were being manually reviewed. Really high. But the reason that happened was so many different teams within the startup realized that we were the only teams within the company that could stop an order. That could stop it before it was actually confirmed. And that information went on to the seller and it, it proceeded. And we started getting asked Can we do a favor for this? Can you hold for this policy? Can you hold for, you know, restricted species because you've got ivory on the site? Can you hold for this and that? And it began to spiral up out of control to that point where we had so much time invested in manual review, but I actually didn't have the tools and the data I needed to break it out and to demonstrate how much of what we were reviewing was for fraud and how much was for these policy issues or these product shortcomings on our end. So I had to break that down and do it manually. It ended up being really beneficial that I could report on that. But you do have to make that decision when choosing KPIs. Not only is it something that's helpful to your business, but what time and effort needs to go into it with the tools I've got now and the access to data I've got now. And can I make this uh, the best use of my time in order to get this information? That's an unfortunate balance, especially for a lot of startups with smaller teams.
1: Absolutely. Um, I apologize. I'm going to straight it a little bit of, um, uh, <laughs> I'm going to switch around the questions that we'd intended to ask. So, since we're on the subject of KPIs and we're talking about balance, I think one of the things that commonly happens is that merchants are concerned about introducing too much friction for gen- uh, for genuine customers. Um, so, what are the key considerations for um Making sure you have a really effective risk management for prevention strategy in place, but still upholding that customer experience. Um, Sarah, you're a kind of merchant representative uh, here. So, is that something that you could uh, talk to us about?
2: Uh, Yes. Uh, It's always the hard part is to keep the happy customers. Mm -hmm. and But for the hotel industry, we have found out that uh, it's better to um, put some rules there that may block some good customers, but always giving them the option to pay at the hotel. So at least we will not lose that Customer, It's not uh, the best way to do it, but at least we don't lose that uh, customer. Also, we have to bear in mind that we have a lot of companies that work with us as B2B. Mm-hmm. So if we're not sure about uh, if it's a good, genuine customer, it, uh, we prefer just go to the OTAs, B2B, others, and we skip that uh, fraud. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, And sorry, Catherine, I think you were going to also add something to that. Sure. Um, Thank you.
4: So I think one thing is that, you know, we obviously spend our lives talking about the bad guys, but actually you've got to remember that the vast majority of your customers are actually good. So again, this goes to the approach that you need to think about your whole, you know, the whole business and that while you absolutely need to be able to stop those bad customers you need to think about how you're not going to then penalize good customers in your quest, your maniacal quest to find the bad guys. So that's where you know, selective friction is so important because that gives you the ability to be more nuanced in your response. You know, when you're looking at something that it's very easy when you've got kind of like something's very clearly good, something's very clearly bad. But when you're looking at the gray in the middle, being able to apply selective friction um, in what in you know, whichever way is appropriate for your vertical is really, really key because it means that you can then start to learn again more about that section in the gray but also it means that you don't penalize your good customers and that you can then actually be more confident in your decisions and create a better experience overall.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, You mentioned about different verticals there. So, when you're um, thinking about what KPIs to set, um, how important is it to, to really tailor both your fraud rules, your KPIs, Every part of your food management strategy to the sector you're in and the type of business that you're in, Emilio, can you give us your view?
3: Yeah, sure. That's a very good question. I think we need to um, yeah center always the the consumer experience and the customer and customer in the center of any equation. So. I think every merchant, whether it's in travel, like in hotel, or it's an airline, or a certified working with airlines, you need to find the right balance where you you accept the most, what you protect and you provide. Uh, you, you don't work in detriment of the customer experience for the good, legitimate customer, especially the returning ones, which may be eighty percent, ninety percent, depending on the industry. You have the the things in place, the weapons that say in place to take off the very bad transaction, the fraudulent, uh, and you yeah, you provide a very good good uh, customer experience. And I think it's, yeah, it's very important because that challenge every industry has, and I would say there is kind of a trade-off between, uh, I think Katri, no, uh, you, you mentioned, Brittany, and the balance between revenue and, and fraud and also chargebacks and refunds. What is the, well, the perfect magic formula that will depend on each uh, industry in each target market. If you are dealing with millennials or adults, I think it's yeah. It's you need to find that that balance. And something we we haven't talked so far is payment is an experience. So here in this room already, if you ask for preferences, every person has his own preferences. So KPI is all about finding this dynamic uh, risk assessment per transaction per consumer to realize that find find this this balance and. Don't forget that even when we come to refunds or chargebacks, it's part of the experience. So how do you distinguish between someone genuinely, legitimately uh, has purchased something and want to return? If you go through a refund process that is very cumbersome and very difficult for you, you will initiate a chargeback. They have the answer. Um, If you look at the KPI, do you have a healthy balance between refunds and chargebacks? So a company very proactively to refund, in theory, should have less chargebacks. If that's not the case, well, you should, you do not have the KPIs in place. You should implement the KPIs to to find that balance. Okay.
1: Brittany, me too. you want to add something?
5: Yeah, I wanted to speak briefly to the idea that we might have some people in the audience who either recently moved to a new company, to a new vertical, or might be doing that in the future. And then you're thinking to yourself, well, I've never worked in, we'll continue to use maybe airlines as an example. I've never worked in that industry before. I guess I can Google airlines and fraud and try to figure it out and try to understand Ooh. what our challenges are, but is that really going to be the best approach? Uh, and so in that case, I would recommend when you're looking at that new vertical that you're trying to understand, look at what a user can do on the platform, what value there is within that, and then drill down in sort of the hierarchy of what could then be abused. So, an example for that would be can someone make an account on your site? If yes, then those accounts are likely somewhere. For sale. What can someone do with that account? Oh, they can make a purchase of a physical good. Okay, great. So then you're going to be looking for payment fraud. You're going to be looking for you know um, shipping redirection. You're going to be looking for all of those things along that physical good fraud line. But then at the same time, do they have to add a new card each time? Is it a stored payment method? Are you challenging them to add the CVV if they're using a stored payment method, maybe from a new device? If you're then drilling down what that path is and then thinking about how they can monetize it, you. Don't need to worry as much about what the vertical is as far as what can be done with your particular platform. And then that is a great place to start if you're feeling a little bit uh, like you don't have as much support, especially if the person who had the role before you did not leave a lot of documentation behind, or if you were the first person in seat at that org, which I've done a couple of times before.
1: (laughs) I can imagine. Um, That's a really good example. So I think there, what you're saying is that. Um, it's it's not just about the vertical and the type of business, but what is the customer journey or how that offering is is being put out, what present, you know, what opportunities that,
3: does that present to the fraudster, which I think is a really interesting way to look at it. Um, uh, and I, I would want to add, yeah, this is very important to have consistency. Also, there's so many things, topics to, to talk and perspective, but we all talk about omnichannel. So the first question, the KPI is how to get the balance. Some companies are very prone to, maybe they are, in, they are born as a, as a, a mobile first company, then they're going later to brick and mortars, make sure that KPIs and also the, the, the things that you have in place is consistent in all channels. You as a consumer, maybe you have a, a perfect, seamless experience on mobile. When you go to brick and mortars or go to web, it's completely different. So you need to have this consistency across so, all channels. Okay.
1: If you have that inconsistency, there's an opportunity to to uh, give fraudsters an open door in the most vulnerable channel, right. but equally, you're offering an inconsistent experience for your genuine customers, which is not what you want. Um, I'd love to get some, some input from you, Sarah, because um, we we had a really interesting talk prior to this that although you're in the hotels industry, and then generally speaking, that's kind of categorized mm-hmm. in with travel and tourism. Mm-hmm. Um But you really have to think carefully about your unique fraud challenges as opposed to the wider travel vertical. So I wonder if you could just talk us through that a bit, please.
2: Yes, our vertical, as you said, uh, we are with the airline industry, but we are really different from them. Uh, We have a lot of transactions that will come through our website that will be paid at the front. So for those transactions, we will get a zero authorization value. So if when the customer comes, they will pay at the hotel, no problem. Mm -hmm. If they don't come, we will uh, charge a no-show fee to that. Tokenization. We use the same uh, merchant code for the for the online prepayment uh, transactions. So one day, our provider said that our um, rate of it was only twenty percent of acceptance. I was like okay, someone is getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the truth was... Did someone get fired? Some? No. <laughs> the truth was they were just putting together all the data and it's n- n- not a good idea. If if it's a prepaid transaction, you can uh, check uh, the approval rates for those ones, also the chargebacks that you have for those ones, but you're not... Cap- can compare to the ones of zero value. Mm. So um, Mm. we find a lot of missing information there. And also for the chargebacks, uh, fraud codes, they are really not fraud. They just miss information between the company and the guest. But then our providers will put it all together in the same basket. So Mm. we have to keep fighting to find a better solution for travel
1: or at least for hotels so there's also there's a lot of interpretation involved yes for you as well mm-hmm. so not just about what sector what type of business where do you take payments but but how can some of those bits of data be interpreted um, as fraud or not fraud
2: yeah. yes okay so we we have to do a lot of manual
1: review after all the process i can imagine mm-hmm. okay thank you for sharing that it I mean, I think that one thing that highlights is there's so many different facets to tracking, measuring, preventing fraud, um, even with existing channels. So my next question is, what happens when you introduce new technologies, new channels, new payment methods into the mix? So how would merchants and PSPs and acquirers um, Approach new areas of risk, and one prime example is crypto payments, which are now starting to come. I wouldn't say quite mainstream, but they're starting to happen in more places. Um, that's one example. There are many different um, new technologies and new areas of risk. How do you know? How do the merchants go about this? I'm looking at you, Brittany, for first response. So
5: I'll start with the call to action to get involved with working with your product team as soon as possible to have a representative from the fraud prevention world that can sit in on discussions of those new products as they're being built and can provide feedback and inform those products. Not to say no to everything, even if there is a potential for a little bit of abuse and misuse, but to at least make them aware that that could happen and to then try to uh, introduce and advocate for what is the absolute requirement that is really needed in order to make that new product or new functionality on the site safe. So, an example would be uh, one marketplace I worked for launched on-platform messaging, which we hadn't had before. And just to keep this more payments focused, that then gave the ability for less scrupulous sellers to direct somebody offline so they would no longer commit payment on our platform, which meant that you know our overall revenue would drop, et cetera, et cetera. And some of that could be a little bit innocent, them just saying, come here and you know, avoid fees. But others were scammers the ones who actually had no item to sell and were just there to rip off people and then that would increase our spam rates because they realized this is a great you know approach. So in that case, we worked with them, we acknowledged That that would be a possibility. We never said, no, don't you allow any messaging because it's too risky. But instead, we said we need to be able to identify uh, text clusters, certain keywords, we need to be able to review messages, and we need to be able to hide messages that are pending review so that they actually aren't impacting good users is a a good uh, impact or exposure to fraud rate that you can monitor as well for some of your users and the ability to report a message needed to be added in. And then we also set the hierarchy for reporting those messages, what teams they would go to. And if you got too many reports or too many flags within a certain category, even before our review team got to it, did something automatically happen to your account? And so that was something that my team could then step in and do. I know that is just, just one example. But if we hadn't been involved in product at all, and we had brought all of that up at the end after all the work had been done, we would have had a really difficult time getting sort of any of those steps added in. And before those steps could be added in, we would have had a lot of manual work, running a lot of queries, taking a lot of time. So get involved with product
1: and engineering. So not particular example that really enables that channel, that new channel to work.
5: Yes, because then you don't have people saying, all I get is spam. All I get are, which we found in another case from another company I work for, would affect our most active users who generated the most revenue because fraudsters were running bots through our marketplace and they were spamming the people who had the most recent listings and the people who paid to renew their listings the most and posted the most got the most spam. So yeah, we were then able to also uh, show a metric that said that the people who brought the most money in for us had the most annoyance and hated the messaging system the most. So, yeah, absolutely.
1: Interesting. Thank you. Emilio?
3: Yeah, well, it's a very good question. I think what we are listening here is a new type of fraud cases, modus operandi, and I think we talk a lot about convenience, seamless. There's payment methods there that they are appearing, they're here to stay. If we look a bit outside Europe, you see 8 packs, super apps, In Europe, you see a lot of open banking after PSD2. Cards are still very strong, but you see a lot of a rise of payment methods account to account involving a bank account or peer to peer. These are payment methods. If you want conversion, you will have to implement. But then the fraudsters are also very innovative and they're working in network. And we are looking at completely new, different types of fraud, which are very highly sophisticated and very subtle to say, okay, this is fraud or not fraud. So I think we need... On our side, in order to, to protect the good customer and to protect fraud, we need to come out with innovative risk solution, fraud solutions. From LexisNexis, we believe in this dynamic uh, smart analytics. And when we say smart analytics is behavior analytics and which looking at the behavior of a consumer, but also uh, behavioral biometrics. Is creating a very unique profile. It's very difficult to imitate uh, your your biometrics profile, the way you hold your phone, your type, etc. And I would say also looking at a, a new vector of fraud, we talk about bots attacks, but also social engineering. So social engineering is using all these type of new products, uh, account to account. I received in WhatsApp a message from my colleagues. Yes, sir, we have dinner and we are splitting the bill. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, yeah, of course, I'm going to pay my part when actually someone maybe took my number and it's a fraudster. So how you tackle those type of, of fraud is you need completely different, uh, more holistic uh, approach. and I think also to be careful where fraud go beyond fraud. You have financial uh, crime uh, compliance issues like AML. So you mentioned crypto. A bit to answer your question on crypto uh, payment methods. We in LexisNexis, we really help crypto-based payments in account creation. Because in crypto, what they do is take uh, credentials or so legitimate credentials to create an account and then commit the, the fraud. And with this account, then they will pay out to other accounts and they will be committing money laundry. So, it's, yeah, it, the problem is it's, it's increasing. It's just not only fraud, it could be even compliance as well.
1: So it's also understanding that broader ecosystem of where these other pieces fit. Okay, thank right. you. We've only got a couple of minutes left, so I'm just going to go straight to the questions. Um, Okay, so I think I, – I like this one, so I'm going to pick this one out. Are merchants willing to share their data related to fraud? If so, what kind of data are they willing to share in order to mitigate fraud risk and benefit from the network effect? So I, th- I think it's, it, it's, you know we're all in agreement that data and shared data and collaboration makes a huge difference. Are merchants actually willing to do that? Anyone wants to pick that one up? Well, me as a merchant, uh, we
2: we are willing to share data. We also collaborate with our competitors because we don't compete in, in the payment sector or fraud. Uh, it's not our competition. So, we, we do uh, several meetings every year, but we cannot... Actually, share data because our PSI uh, department will not
3: um, allow us. Yeah, it's different. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say, uh, maybe giving a solution uh, here on the spot. (laughs) Uh, So, tokenization as we tokenize a credit card and it's safe, it's giving security, you tokenize also. PII data can be tokenized. So LexisNexis, we are very strong and believe, uh, and I hear, here my colleagues do digital identity. Digital identity is, is a tokenized, uh, piece of information that, uh, also introduced the idea of collaboration on consortia or consortium where, um, all different peers within the industry, they can benefit from it. So this is strong belief in the industry that you, you are, you cannot Tackle fraud alone. So consortium is is very important. So there is that
1: opportunity there, but it's about willingness or education to get merchants on board with that. Yeah. And something that uh,
0: Catherine
5: said in her presentation made me excited, you mentioned having merchant roundtables. Yeah. So depending on how you define data, we've got that idea of complete willingness to share at least on fraud patterns fraud trends and Mm -hmm. solutions that worked Um, we've done the same thing they're really exciting to be able to sit in on and um, we've even um, just this week i believe launched a sifters community where merchants can in a forum speak to each other uh, in a secure way and share those trends so depending on how granular you get with data yes they are absolutely willing to share that
1: Sure. Okay, thank you. I'm afraid we have run out of time. Um, and we do uh, need to let the, the team from the hotel come in to convert the room for this evening. So um, I just want to say thank you so much for all the panellists. I'm sure if there's people in the room whose questions haven't been answered yet, um, I'm going to volunteer them. Uh, come and ask them. Come and nab them and ask your questions. Um, I'm sure they'll be happy to answer. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time and thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the official MPE podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the show and check other video interviews with other industry leaders on our YouTube channel. For more content, follow Merchant Payments Ecosystem on LinkedIn and Twitter. Don't miss out on our Positivity magazine and remember to subscribe to the MPE newsletter at www.merchantpaymentsecosystem.com.